I'm privileged to serve as the church planting catalyst in eastern Kansas for the North American Mission Board, and our family's been involved in and around Rock Hill for many years. Um, it's been a little difficult in the last couple since we live in Overland Park currently, but um, we still very much count Rock Hill as, as our family, and we really... We covet the time that we get to spend with you, and it's always a blessing to, to be with you this morning. Um, so, if you have your Bible with you, I invite you to open up with me to the book of Exodus. Uh, the book of Exodus. And we're going to be spending some time um, primarily kind of around chapters 15 through 17. And in a few minutes, I'm going to just read a large section, um, a large chunk of text that will kind of serve as the foundation that we'll be learning from this morning. And we'll just kind of refer to it through throughout the morning as we move along today. But um, last week, I just kind of want to tie together some things that Jim spoke about last week, and that'll kind of move us into the message this morning as well. So one of the things as I sat and I worshiped with you all last week that I felt came through over and over and over again was this phrase that came up in the text last week, and it was simply this, that the Lord will fight for you. The Lord is fighting for them. The Lord will fight for you. You have nothing to do except to stand and be quiet and wait. Just wait because the Lord is fighting for you. I don't, I don't know how often this has happened to you in your life when you've come up against a problem or a difficulty typically with a person or a situation that seems it's outside of your control or maybe you were trying to work very hard and then something came up in your way and, and it seemed like no matter what you did you were going to be ill thought of or no matter what you did it wasn't going to work out the right way for you. A couple years ago there were two instances that happened to me within the span of about a month where it was completely outside of my control and I wasn't going to end up looking good out of the result of either one of these situations. And I was sitting, I remember sitting in my kitchen at the table, and I was so frustrated with the situation. I was so frustrated because it, didn't, it seemed like no matter what I did, it wasn't going to end up well. And it was in that moment I just felt like the Lord speaking to me through that exact passage that Jim spoke to saying, Matt, I will fight for you. You shut up. Like, it's not your job to fight for you. That's my job. You belong to me. In fact, it's not really your name and reputation that matters. It's mine. And the fact that you belong to me means it's more about my reputation that's on the line than yours. So you be quiet. You be quiet. You see, you see, friends, uh, this story that God is weaving in through and around you began long before you came and will continue long after you leave. And when God says the Lord, in that passage when he said God will fight for you, and then it said later that the Lord fought for them, it's a, remind, it's a reminder to us that God will do what he says he's going to do. And as Jim said last week, God does nothing arbitrarily. Amen? God does nothing arbitrarily. And so, I don't know about you, but for me that helps me breathe a little bit. It helps me breathe to know that God does nothing arbitrarily. He does nothing without purpose. So this morning, I just want you to keep that in your mind in the backdrop as we move through this passage that God doesn't do anything without purpose, alright? Sometimes, sometimes we see the things that are right here in front of us and we miss like the 30,000 foot view of what God is doing. And so I, I just want you to have that in your mind as well because when we read this story, we're going to read it as something that God does immediately, 
in one time, in one space to meet a specific need. And we could read the story that way and it would be incredibly true and it will always be true that God does something in a specific time and place to meet a specific need. But if we only focus on this, we're going to miss this bigger thing that God is doing and what He wants for His people. So yes, learn from the story immediately, but we're going to spend more time kind of asking God, what is this bigger thing that you're doing? So the, we're going to read a large chunk of text today and we're going to start in Exodus 15 beginning in verse two, 22 and we're going to read through Exodus 16 ending in verse 26. So bear with me as we read this morning. I'll try and put my best reading voice on for you, alright? Then Moses led Israel on from the Red Sea. We read about the Red Sea last week and what happened there. And they went out to the wilderness of Shur. They journeyed for three days in the wilderness without finding water. Remember, this is about two million people we're talking about here. Give or take 500,000, alright? Depending on how many kids came with them. We're dealing with around two million people here. So they're traveling and for three days, there's, there's no water, alright? So that's the situation. They came to Marah, but they could not drink the water at Marah because it was bitter. That's why it was called Marah. Thanks, thanks for that parenthetical note, Moses. The people grumbled to Moses, what are we going to drink? So he cried out to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a tree. When he threw it into the water, the water became drinkable. He made a statute and ordinance for them at Marah, and he tested them there. He said, if you will carefully obey the Lord, this is important, if you will carefully obey the Lord your God, do what is right in his eyes, and pay attention to his commands, and keep all his statutes, I will not inflict any illness on you I inflicted on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord who heals you. Then they came to Ilim, where there were twelve Twelve springs of water and seventy date palms, and they camp there by the water. So life is good, right? They have water now. They're camping. It sounds like a resort setting. Uh, palm trees and springs. It's pretty legit where they are. Then the entire Israelite community departed from this resort place, right? And came to the wilderness of Sin, which is between Elim and Sinai, on the 15th day of the second month after they had left the land of Egypt. The entire Israelite community grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. The Israelites said to them, If only we had died by the Lord's hand in the land of Egypt when we sat by pots of meat and ate all the bread that we wanted. Instead, you brought us into this wilderness to make this whole assembly die of hunger. Now, it's easy to read this passage and say, man, these Israelites, they were a bunch of complainers, right? But we got to remember, they had been in Egypt where, yes, the work was hard, but they'd come home every day. They had livestock to feed their family. And literally, they probably did have pots to meat, pots of meat to eat on the regular. And so they're looking around and they're saying, listen, Moses, we were going to die there anyway, but you brought us through all this trouble. Like, we left where we were. We were kind of settlers. We were people that had a home. And yes, the work was hard but we had this home and then we followed your leadership and we've been running for our lives and then we didn't have any water with our livestock and for our kids and now we're traveling and we're here and nobody's had any food to eat like we did before and nobody's had any water to drink and this is a problem Moses and so the complaints that they were issuing they weren't necessarily bad it's not like when my son Levi when you're like Levi hey I made you this sandwich and he's like what do you want to put on it and you're like okay I want some mayonnaise on my sandwich and you're like alright man and you pull out the jar of miracle if he's like hey bro like, listen that's not mayonnaise right and he's like I'll just I'll just have it plain like you look at him and you're like Man, you are not old enough to have this specific of taste about the white substances I'm wiping on your hamburger, right? 
So this complaint that the Israelites were issuing isn't the same as Levi's complaint about Mayo, okay? It's legitimate, especially in light of where they'd been. What they'd been through, what their life experience was, and where they are up to this point. Okay, so let's just keep that in mind. Then the Lord said to Moses, I'm going to rain bread from heaven for you. The people are going out each day and gather enough for the day. This way I will test them to see whether or not they will follow my instructions. Do you see that? That happened before. He's like, if you will obey, I'm going to see if you can follow instructions. On the sixth day when they prepare what they bring in, it will be twice as much as they gather on other days. So Moses and Aaron said to the Israelites, this evening you will know that it was the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt. In the morning you will see the Lord glory because he's heard your complaints about him for who are we that you complain about us so Moses saying hey let's be clear about who's really in charge here I know you're complaining to me but it's really the Lord that you're talking to and we'll talk about this again in a minute but listen there's no better place to complain to than the Lord if you're going to complain let's just complain to the Lord okay because he's really the only one in a position to do anything about your complaints to begin with I mean, He is the sovereign Lord of the universe, right? So if anyone is a position to change your position, it's going to be the Lord. Then Moses told Aaron, Say to the entire Israelite community, Come before the Lord, for He's heard your complaints. As, can you imagine? That's kind of like for you when you were younger, or my kids now, just wait till your father gets home and tell him what you want to talk about, right? As Aaron was speaking to the entire Israelite community, they turned toward the wilderness, and there in a cloud the Lord's glory appeared. I don't know about you, but I'd probably pee my pants in that situation, right? You come to complain against the Lord, and here comes the glory of the Lord. You're like, oh man, here we go. The Lord said to Moses, I've heard the complaints of the Israelites. Tell them, at twilight you will eat meat, and in the morning you will eat bread until you are full. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God. You know what's interesting here is we, we read this a lot, and we think about, again, the Israelites complaining, but you'll notice that God never gets down on the people of Israel at this point when they complain to Him, and He responds by meeting their need. It's not like the Lord comes back and says, you're a stiff-necked people. That comes later, right? But at this point, the people complain. They issue their, they're like, hey, Lord, we're in trouble here. Like, we, we're struggling, and God meets their need. We reach out, we cry out, even if our heart maybe isn't in the right place, we reach out, we cry out, and the Lord provides. At evening, quail came and covered the camp. In the morning, there was a layer of dew all around the camp. When the layer of dew evaporated, there on the desert surface were fine flakes, as fine as frost on the ground. When the Israelites saw it, they asked one another, What is it? Because they didn't know what it was. Moses told them, It's the bread the Lord has given you to eat. This is what the Lord has commanded. Gather as much of it as each person needs to eat. You may take two quarts per individual, according to the number of people that you have in his tent. My family would be eating large, because we got so many people live up in our house, man. We'd be gathering so many quarts of this stuff, right? So the Israelites did this. Some gathered a lot, some a little. When they measured it by quarts, the person who gathered a lot had no surplus, and the person who gathered a little had no shortage. Each gathered as much as he needed to eat. Moses said to them, no one is to let any of it remain until morning. But what happened? They didn't listen to Moses. Some people left part of it until morning, and it bred worms and smelled. Therefore, Moses was angry with them. Those of you who have children, you know, Brother, I told you, like, why? If you would just do what I tell you, you wouldn't have any problems, right? And so I, I, I say that way too often in my house. 
They gathered it every morning, each gathered as much as he needed to eat. But when the sun grew hot, it melted. On the sixth day, they gathered twice as much food, four quarts apiece. And all the leaders of the community came and reported this to Moses. He told them, this is what the Lord has said. Tomorrow is a day of complete rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. Bake what you want to bake and boil what you want to boil. And everything left over set aside to be kept until morning. So they set it aside until morning as Moses commanded. And it didn't smell or have any maggots in it. Eat it today, Moses said, because today is a Sabbath to the Lord. Today you won't find any in the field. For six days you may gather, but on the seventh day, the Sabbath day, there will be none. Let's pray. Lord, it surprises me when we think that your word doesn't speak to us today. Most often it's the case that we just don't listen. And so it's my prayer this morning that I would continue to listen. Um that I would hear what you're saying and that we would learn from you today, Jesus. We love you, Lord, and we pray that we would leave different than when we arrived because you're different and you make us different. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Church, my purpose in preaching to you this morning is is really straightforward. It's, It's that I want you to learn the small obedience of God's provision now so that you'll be ready to inherit the land of promise later. I want you to learn the small obedience of God's provision now so that you'll be able to inherit the land of promise later. You see, the truth is God's desire is to prepare us to receive what He's promised. And this has always been God's desire, but this isn't an easy work. It's incredibly difficult, right? Because the tools and tactics of Egypt, the way that the people of Israel were used to living, they're not going to work in these modern times. These tools and tactics of Egypt are no use in the land of promise. You see, and the more that the people of Israel continued to try and live like the way they were used to living, the more and more they found themselves running counter-purpose to what God's purpose was for them. And this is important for us because the danger is that if we don't learn now that we won't be ready later. Friends, this is important because as we're going to read, I'm going to give the story away if you haven't read it. This generation that, that is being provided for now, they don't ever get it. They don't ever learn the lesson. And because of that, they don't make it. They don't make it to the land of promise. In fact, Moses doesn't make it to the land of promise. And when I read that, I just say, Lord, may that not be so among us. May may we not be the people that fail to inherit what you have for us because we just weren't ready. Listen, this is going to be difficult. But the truth is, we often want the pleasure of the promised land without the pain of trusting God for provision. We often want the grand, invisible, audible displays of God's glory as leadership and divine protection without the discipline, obedience, and faith in the simple ways of life. Now, don't hear what I'm not saying. Our God is not a transactional God, meaning that, oh, I'm going to do this and God will do this. But... The way we choose to live in relationship to and with Him declares the reality of where our faith truly rests. We know this, but I want to tell us again that the danger isn't that God won't have a people for Himself. He always will have a people for Himself. He's promised us, He's shown us from the beginning of the book to the end, and that we see that now and today. The danger isn't that God won't have a people for Himself. The danger is that He won't do a work in our great city. The danger isn't that He won't do a work in our great city or on our campuses. He will. He's going to do a work in, in this city. 
Because this, this city will radiate with the glory of the Lord. And people from every tribe, tongue, and nation, as we sang earlier, will shout the praises of the Lord. Even from the campus here. The danger isn't that he won't do these things. The danger is that we'll miss it because we're content to live with the same slave and victim mentality that kept this generation out of the promised land. We'll just miss it. We'll miss it. So the question that you have to answer this morning is if you're ready and willing to learn the small lesson of obedience and provision now so that you'll inherit the land of promise later. So quickly we're going to walk through just a few things today. First, I want us to answer the question of why God provides for us. Why does God provide? The first one is very straight. first answer to that is very straightforward. He provides because we ask. He asks. When we read that passage that I covered on three separate occasions in 1524 and 16, 2 and 3, and then later he's going to provide again in chapter 17, water from the rock. And each of three of these situations, God provides because they ask. And remember, their complaints were legitimate there. They were legitimate when they, listen, God, we've been traveling. At one point, they traveled for a whole, about a month. And they were running out of food, and they were running out of water. And they said, God, this is different for us. Like, we, we haven't experienced this before. You're going to have to help us here. And so, God, God does. He intervenes. He helps. He asks. He meets the need. And so, friends, when you're in a position when you have a need, why would you not ask the Lord? Why would you not ask the Lord? Because he's in the unique position of being able to meet that need. Now sometimes he'll meet the need and sometimes he'll remind us that we have all we need in him. In fact, if you were with us last summer, we walked through the shepherd's psalm for quite a bit of the summer. And the, the, the main thrust of that psalm is, The Lord is my shepherd, I have everything that I need. There's nothing that I lack. There's nothing I lack. And truly, friends, if you do have the Lord, there's, there's nothing that you ultimately lack. It could be the thing that you're struggling with this morning, that hole that you have inside of you isn't going to be filled by anything that you can obtain, whether that's a degree, a relationship, a house, a vehicle, a job title, or anything. That, that need that you fill can only be filled in relationship with the Lord of the universe, the one who made you for relationship with Him. And so it could be for you that that's your biggest need this morning. And so if that's true of you today, I really encourage you to not leave here before you get some of those questions answered today. Asking, maybe that's my biggest need today. And for all of us, it really is. Friends, for God to provide, really there has to be a need. And truthfully, need doesn't come without pain of some kind, right? Pain is really one of the only ways that growth happens because growth requires pain, pressure, and resources over time. It's the only way that we really grow is we put ourselves in a position of pain and we do that over time. We expend resources and because of that, growth occurs. And truthfully, learning to trust God in unfamiliar territory is uncomfortable. But listen, God wants you to become comfortable being uncomfortable. That's part of what God is doing with His people here in Israel. He's bringing them to uncomfortable positions. Because in the midst of uncomfortability, we find our place in the greatest position to ask God to provide. We find ourselves in a situation where, Lord, you're going to have to do something here because I can't, I'm at, I'm at my end. I have nothing left. And so unless you intervene, something catastrophic is going to happen. And this is making me really uncomfortable. Because we're human, right? Anytime we're in a situation when things are outside of our control, we're immediately uncomfortable. 
were immediately uncomfortable. Some of you know I routinely like to put myself in very uncomfortable situations. Yesterday, I ran 20 miles on a trail, and it was, it was every bit as bad as you think it might be. Last year, I did a, a half Ironman triathlon, and it was every bit as bad as you think it might be. And people asked me when I was preparing for that, like, well, Matt, what are you good at? Like, what's your event? You know, are you good at the swim? Are you good at the run? Are you good at the bike? And I said, I'm not good at any of it. None. I have no, I have no skills. I have no event. They're like, well, what, what do you mean? No, like, what are you bad at? They said, no, what are you good at? I said, you want to know what I'm good at? And they said, yeah. I said, suffering. <laughs> I'm good at, I'm really good at suffering. They're like, what do you mean? I said, I can do something for a long time and really hurt, and it's okay. Like, well, like, what do you mean? I'm like, well, look, we have five children, right? That's, that's a large amount of suffering, right? We're doing hard things all the time. Every day when, when I have to help the two-year-old do things that she should be able to do, I'm like, Lord, why? Right? And he's looking at me like, every day, Matt, I have to help you do things that you should do. Why? Right? But listen, the reason I do those things is because it's good for us as a people to put ourselves in a position where we suffer. We're under a heavy weight and we're under a load because in those times we, we grow through that. We grow through that. Friends, listen. There's, a, there's another passage, one of the prophets, when, when God's speaking to the prophet, and he says, how, can you, how do you expect to run with the wild horses when you can't even walk on your own? Right? How, how do you expect to go and do something significant if you can't even be obedient in this little thing that I'm asking you to do? It's the same thing with Israel here. They'll never be ready to inherit that land of promise with all the opportunity if they can't follow the simple instructions of obedience and provision now. Why does God do this? Why does He call us to be in uncomfortable situations and put us in uncomfortable situations? Because left to our own devices, we'll always slip back into an old way of life. When God called them out of Egypt, they, the people of Israel kept running into problems because they were living, living with that Egypt mentality still. And over and over, God has to remind them, listen, the way that you lived your life then, as a slave, as a victim, that's not going to work here. You're an overcomer. You're, you're an inheritor. You're the one who I have something for. And for you to step into that, you're going to have to learn a new way of living. Because that old way of living, it's not going to cut it here. And so friend, what, what is it that is part of that old way of life that you're still dragging along with you? Trying to bring with you as you journey to this land of promise that God has for you. What, what kind of weight or a burden or, or, or rhythm or, or, or practice are you holding on to that's really keeping you from journeying to the place that God has for you? Maybe, maybe for you, it's that you used to speak about yourself to yourself negatively. You used to think awful things about yourself and that would affect your relationships, that would affect the way that you lived your life and jobs, that would affect the way that you treated yourself and treated people. And listen, God's word for you in that is, listen, you don't, you don't talk to yourself like that anymore. Because you're, you're mine. And for you to be able to come into this thing, that the land of promise that I have for you, you can't talk to yourself like that anymore. Because that's not going to work here. Maybe for you, the way that you used to survive is you would take advantage of people. Maybe, maybe you saw people as, as a means to get, to get what you want and get to where you wanted to go. And God is saying to you, listen, that way of living, it's not going to work in this land of promise. Because you can't treat other people that way anymore. 
And I know you did that because you thought that was the only way that you could survive. But you need to know that I'm a God of abundance and provision. And because of that, you don't have to steal. You don't, you don't have to speak negatively to somebody. You don't have to take advantage because there's enough for you. There's enough for you. I'm enough for you. So what is it for you that you're holding on to as an old way of life that God is calling you to let go of because there's no way you can take that with you into the land of promise? Why does God provide? He does, he does it because we ask and He does it to make His name, name known and to display His glory because when a need arises and we ask and our needs are met, God gets the glory. What a great deal is that, church? Is that a good deal? Hey, I have this need. I pray and God, I pray the Lord and the Lord provides, meets that need and guess what? Everybody sees that. And because God did this thing that, the, that they saw that the Lord did, He gets the glory. And people say, what kind of God is this that he met that need that he prayed about? Even when it's inexplicable that any other reason, was, any other reason that we had our need met. It was like, how did that happen for him? Well, all I know is he prayed, right? He prayed and the need was met. And I could tell you story after story of people that I have relationship with that would come to me with a need and I would say, hey, we're just going to pray and trust that the Lord will provide. And then the Lord provides for their need and we say, isn't that amazing that we have this God that meets our needs when we pray? God gets the glory. Why does He provide? Because of His great love for us as well. Friends, these things are inextricably linked. God's love for His people is part and parcel of who He is. It's the outpouring of His glory. He's a different kind of God and we're a different kind of people. So what are the barriers to living in God's provision? Well, we've already covered it a little bit, but I'm going to put it a little more succinctly here. One of the barriers to living in God's provision is that we live with the expectations of Egypt. We live with the expectations of Egypt. When we don't have what we expect and we fail to trust for God to provide, it's a recipe for disobedience. Isn't it? One way, if, we, if we've lived some life together, you've probably heard me say this phrase to you before. Hey, you know what the secret to happiness is? Lowering your expectations. Lowering your expectations. When you expect things to be a certain way and then whatever happens exceeds those, then you're going to be happy, right? You're like, this is awesome. Like, I, I do, I really do like people, but generally I don't expect anybody to really impress me too much. I just expect people to kind of be disappointing in general because I believe everyone has a sin nature and that we're, we're sinful people. And so I expect people to behave sinfully. And so when, when people don't behave sinfully and they surprise me, I'm like, that guy's pretty awesome, right? That's good. That guy, he's responsible. I mean, that's amazing. I, I, I gave this guy an opportunity, took advantage of it. Yes, like awesome, great. Because I've been in other situations where I expected and my expectations weren't me and then I'm met and I'm automatically disappointed. Right? It's the same thing for us as a people. When we don't have what we expect and we fail to trust for God to provide, it's a recipe for disobedience. And friend, that's a sin as, that's a sin as, as old as Eden. Right? Think about it. Think about Adam and Eve in the garden. They, uh, there was this unrealistic expectation that was cultivated in them by an outside source that they should have access to things that weren't for them to have access to. The serpent snuck in and he said, Did God really say... Does the Lord really want? And you say, well, I don't know. And so then when they fell in sin, and then they were confronted, you remember how Adam responded to that? He blamed the gift and the giver. You remember that? Lord, it was that woman that you gave to me. Sounds a lot like Israel here, right? Lord, you brought us here, and we are going to die. Now, time out, right? 
What is, it, what is it that God's really doing here? Friends, too often we allow our culture and our surroundings to dictate to us what our life should look like and what we really need. And we allow the voice of another to tell us what is really necessary for us. Some of my favorite modern prophets, the Avit brothers, they have a, a song and it's called Ill With Want. I just want to read some of the lyrics because it speaks right into this. Listen to what it says. I'm sick with wanting... And it's evil and it's daunting how I let everything I cherish lay to waste. I am lost in greed. This time it's definitely me. I point fingers but there's no one out there to blame. I need for something but not more medicine. I'm sick with wanting and it's evil how it's got me. And every day is worse than the one before. The more I have, the more I think I'm almost where I need to be. If only I could get a little more. Something has me acting like someone I don't want to be. Something has me acting like someone I know that isn't me. I'm ill with want and I'm poisoned by that selfish greed. Friends, oftentimes we allow the expectations of another or the voice of our culture to tell us what we really need. And we allow that to dictate our happiness, our identity, our worth and our value. And that's an old way of living. That's an Egypt way of life. And the more we allow those things to shape us and create our Egypt-like expectation, the less likely we're able to step into that land of promise that God has for us. What is another barrier to provision? We don't receive the provision, that, the help that God wants to provide. I love all of my children so much, right? Um, we have a, a three-year-old right now. Um, Evie, and she's sweet as pie, right? And she's also ornery as sin, okay? And one of her favorite phrases right now is, I do, right? I, I do, I do. It's like, let me help you with that. No, I do. And I'm like, okay, baby, you do. And then you watch her do, and then inevitably most of the time she ends up needing help anyway. But I can't help her if she's not ready and wait, waiting to receive my help. I can offer it. I can be there. And you know it. Like, have you, you've been in a situation before where you've made a mistake in, in, in the past and you see someone that you love and they're walking down a road and they're about to make a similar mistake. And you say, hey, listen, I, I, know, what you, I, I know what you're seeing and I know what you're thinking, but let me help you here. If you do this, this is what's going to happen. And I just don't want to see you do that. And they go, well, you know, thanks, but I got this. And then you sit by and you watch as it unfolds exactly like you knew it was going to unfold, right? But you can't offer help to someone who's not ready to receive it. And yes, while God is sovereign and he can, he can wrap you up right out of the fire, he can't give help to you if you're not ready to receive it. And oftentimes we, are, we create a barrier to God's provision because we're not ready to receive it. What else happens? What's another barrier? We don't give God glory and we become enemies of God when we do that. That happened to Moses later in this story when God, another need arose. Another need arose and God said, meet the need. I want you to go and I want you to talk to this rock and provide water from the rock. But Moses went and he hit the rock. He did what he wanted to do to show himself out, show everybody how powerful it was, remind him of who was boss. And the Lord said, you just don't get him, Moses, even after all these years. You don't get it. He didn't give God glory and it cost him, it cost him the promised land. It cost him the promised land. 
Another barrier is we don't live like God is our provider. The outward danger there is that we miss our commission to be the attractive force for world transformation that God's called us to be into to a lost and dying world. How does that look? Well, we end up building fences to protect our stuff, to protect us instead of wells that draw people in. Does that make sense? We keep people out instead of we build a fence instead of a well. We're saying, nope, this is ours, Right? God's provision, God's relationship, it's for us. It's not for anybody else. We've got to build this fence. Instead of building a well, tearing the fences down, saying, listen, come all who are weary and heavy laden, I'll give you rest. Come and drink from this well that never runs dry. We build fences instead of wells. And the inward danger is that we attempt to live out of our own strength. When a need arises, what's our default response? Is it to blame and complain like Adam did, like Israel does? Sometimes... My default is to use our limited, my limited resources, right? When I have a need, my first, my first response is, well, how much money do we have in the bank? Well, um, I have this credit card that we could make use of. I can find a way to figure that out. Instead of saying, Lord, here's the need, what we have. And we take it to the Lord, and then we take it to the community. That should be our default response. When a need arises that you have, then you need to first take it to the Lord and then take it to the community. That's what the church is for, friends. But if you don't let your need be made known then the, the church can't be the church towards you. And if you don't ask, that's just your pride telling you that you can handle it on your own. Whatever the situation is. Some of you may be having a relational problem in your marriage or in your relationship with your kids, but you keep that to yourself. And you say, well, I can't let anybody know about that. Right? And so you keep this here and you don't get the help that you really need. And you're out of resources to deal with it by yourself. And since you haven't shared that need with the community, they don't ask you about it. And so that creates this wall of separation between you and the community. And then over time, what happens is this doesn't get any better, right? Relationally or financially, whatever you need is, it doesn't get better because you're out of resources. And so the church still isn't meeting that need because you haven't let it be made known. And then your sin nature creeps in and says, well, if that church really cared about me, they'd ask how I'm doing in this area of my life. And since they don't, that means they don't care. And so you further separate and isolate. And when you further separate and isolate, the church doesn't know your need. And it's just this cycle to where you end up way outside of relationship with the Lord and the church because you haven't let your need be made known. And the church misses out on a blessing towards you because they haven't been able to meet the need that they could have in abundance within their community. And so everybody suffers. When God's desire for you in this land of promise that He has for you is that your needs will be met. And you'd have what you need. And that's available to you. I wonder why we treat our greatest hope for success, seeking the Lord, as our last resort. Why do we do that? Sometimes we get to the end and we're like, well, I guess the only thing left to do now is pray. Well, maybe we should have started there. Maybe we, maybe we seek the Lord first. So how do we respond to this as we wrap up? Friends, I just want you to learn to receive the gift. Receive it. Because God's desire for you is the land of promise. I want you to give glory to the giver of the gift. And I want you to live like it's true always. I want you to live like it's true always. Back when we, we had just moved here, and um, when we lived in Lawrence several years ago, and we were walking down Mass Street, and we just had Gracie at the time. Um, actually, Levi was pretty little. So we had Gracie and Levi, and... Man, Gracie, she was about three at that time, and she was walking in front of me, and she was singing, and she was dancing, and she was just being 
the, the best version of three-year-old Gracie that she could be. And we were walking by the toy, street, this, the toy store on Mass, and I was just overcome with this desire to buy her a gift, right? Because she's my daughter, and I love her, and she was just bringing my heart so much joy just to be with her and to watch her, right? And I was overcome and uh, just out of love for her to buy her something. And it was in that moment that the Lord spoke to me and, and he said, Matt, don't you realize that's how I feel about you? Like, I desire to give you good gifts. Like, I, I want to I provide for you. I want to, just because you're my son and I love you. And I realized at that time, even, even though I'd been an adult, been a Christian for a very long time, for the longest time I viewed, I didn't view God in the same way that I was viewing my daughter at that time as a, as a loving father who wanted to give me a good gift. I also had a really performance-driven idea of my relationship with God. And so it was at that time that my, my life began to change in, in ways in relationship with God I didn't realize before. Because I realized that, you know, God does want good things for me. Just as much as I want good things for my children. And so, I don't know where you are with that this morning. I don't know where you are with that. But a, but a couple, way, couple takeaways for you today. I just want you to trust that you have a father who wants to give you good gifts. But in the midst of that, I want you to learn to trust the provider and not the provision. Trust the provider and not the provision. Too often we trust the provision, the paycheck, our resources, our creativity, our ability, more than we trust the provider. Secondly, if you're in a situation where you don't know what to do, I just want you to ask the Lord, say, God, what are you doing? God, what are you doing? Help me to see it. This week, I had some quasi-disappointing things happen. You know, nothing earth-shattering, but some stuff that I had this expectation, and my expectation was unmet, and I was disappointed. I was frustrated. And thankfully, when I found out, I was disappointed and frustrated. I said, Lord, what are you doing? God, what are you doing? Just help me to see it. I just want to see what you're doing. And immediately my perspective began to change. Because now we begin to live with expectation again. That God, God's doing something. I just can't see it yet. Right? I just can't see it. And when you're prone to be disappointed about things that you don't have, I just want you to remind yourself that, and say this prayer. Say, God, I, ha- I have you and it's enough. God, I have you and it's enough. We're going to move to a time of response and Ben, some others are going to come back up. And This time of response is, is for you. It's for you to respond to what God is speaking to you in this time. I know generally Jim stands in the back and, and I'll be in the back as well. And so if you'd like someone to pray with you or for you, I encourage you to come find one of us to pray with you or someone that you came with. Um, you want to unpack some of this stuff with or maybe this time you just need to spend with you and the Lord. And I remind you that you're free to kneel there in your seat or just pray with your head down in your seat. But um, I also invite you to come forward if you'd like and kneel at the front and pray. This is just a bunch of carpet and concrete, but it's an altar if you make it that way. So however it is that the Lord is speaking to you, now's your time to respond. Let's pray together. Jesus, we trust you. We trust you with what you're doing in our life and around our life. God, we pray that um, we wouldn't take an Egypt way of life with us towards a land of promise. Father, that the tactics and tools that we used to use, Lord, whether they be tools of manipulation, tools of, um, of anger or fear, we pray that we would lay those down and realize that you have a better way, a way of abundance. 
God, help us to step into what you have for us. God, that we wouldn't miss out on the land of promise because we're failing to trust you with the small steps of obedience and provision today. Lord, um, if our biggest need is relationship with you this morning, I pray that we wouldn't leave here without, uh, without sorting that out today, Jesus. Wherever we are, help us to move in a little closer to you. It's in your name we pray. Amen.